absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and I've got my co-host, Scott, the man who can literally predict what score he's going to shoot on the day. Scott, what's the good word, and how do you do it? So, uh, to be honest with you, I have no idea. If if I knew I was going to be that accurate, I would have said something like, you know, 65. Um, you know, just walk into the pro shop and say, what's the course record? And then just say, that's the score I'm going to shoot. And then if it happens, I'm just, you know, a wizard. So, it's February 23rd. It's late February it was 54 degrees today. I texted Scott last night. I said, are we playing golf tomorrow? Thinking nothing of it. My plan was to maybe go to the range. That's about it. And he's like, yep, where are we going to play? And then we kind of went online and tried to find a tee time around 9 to 10 a.m. And it was uh, it was difficult. But the old tried and true came through Crystal Springs Resort, kind of halfway between Scott and I, about an hour and 20, hour and 30 each. And the only course that was open was the Crystal Springs course. Now, needless to say... We've only played there once. We played there over the summer. We did a little live pod from Black Bear, one of their courses there. But turns out, Scott, that um, the Crystal Springs course is one of their hardest courses and is consistently ranked in the top or near the top 25 of hardest golf courses to play in New Jersey. So I actually – I remembered after – but the uh, you mentioned we played Black Bear over the summer. I actually remember looking up the the courses in the middle of trying to book a tee time for those, and looking at Crystal Springs and going, "Oh, this course rates as the toughest course in New Jersey. Maybe we should skip it." Uh, but in my you know excitement of playing golf at the end of February, completely forgot about that as I booked the tee time for the two of us. And you uh, are not yesterday to be afternoon. What's that? I said you're definitely not to be blamed. I mean, we we would have played literally anywhere, but it was awesome to play on a course as you know as good as Crystal Springs. And and honestly, I mean, the conditioning for late February was insane. I I, I was literally blown away. Um, so they consider it the most challenging public layout, in New Jersey. From the tips, it only measures 6,800. I'm going to guess. Now, they only had one set of tees out today. They had a white set of tees. That is it. Um, some of the times, it was where the blue tees normally were. Some of the times, it was where the white tees were. And some of the times, it was maybe a little bit ahead of some of those tees uh, to protect certain tee boxes and areas of the fairway. Car path only. But I'm going to say, Scott, it probably measured out of what, 6,300 6, about? Would you agree? I would say in the the sixty two five to sixty three five range. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, uh, Robert Van Hage of Houston, Texas, is the architect. It opened in nineteen ninety two. Um, it's it's fair but tight. Um, I guess this guy's entire mo is like these link style mounds that you would see over in Scotland and Ireland with the true links lands. Now, obviously in Northern New Jersey, you're not getting true links, but uh, the only thing that sucked today was car path only, which is completely understandable at this time of the year. But yeah. with these mounds, it made it very difficult to see into the fairway. Now I could imagine 
driving through the fairway because you cannot walk this course. Trust me. Some of the T to green and green to T drives were three, four minutes in length. But I can imagine driving through the middle of the fairway and feeling completely isolated. We felt the exact opposite because we were on the outside of the fairways on the car paths and had to always like cross 90 degrees walking into the fairways. Aside from that, it was a great time. Uh, I had a blast. Uh, one, just playing golf. Two, the the fact that we got to play golf together, which unfortunately doesn't happen that often. Uh, and then also big shout out to Brian and Elizabeth, uh, who we were paired up with on the second hole. Uh, they were they could not have been uh, a better twosome that we could have gotten paired up with today. So Scott and I have a long running history of being paired up with fat guys named Al. And you're like, ah, well, they're just saying that because they're saying something on the podcast to make people laugh. No, it, it, I mean, it's seriously true. We went through a run of about six or seven within an entire summer. And it became a running joke where we'd meet a guy that might be overweight on the first tee box. And before he would even introduce himself, I'm like, you're not Al, by the way, are you? Like, oh, my God. I Like, yeah, yeah. How would you know? The starter told you? Did they tell you in the pro shop? Um, it was just a weird coincidence. Let me tell you, Scott and I have played with a ton of people over the last 20-plus years. And, Scott, I'm going to go on record as saying that I can't remember a more enjoyable twosome that we have played with besides Brian and Liz today. I, I, I'd have to go back into the annals of my memory banks to really kind of think of someone that we got paired up with that was actually cool and enjoyable. And who, honestly, if, like... They DM'd us through the Instagram account. I'd be like, yes, I would definitely play with you tomorrow again. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely agree. Probably the only person I would want to play with more than them uh, is uh, uh, Pizza Driverhead guy, just because I want to see what he's up to. I'm not even sure with his weight uh, that he might even be alive still. No, and just so everyone knows what we're talking about, at one point I had one of those, like, Callaway drivers that was a square head and he looked at it and said huh your driver looks like a pizza box <laughs> he also continued pretty accurate by the way that joke for the entire 18 holes over and over and over every time Scott would pull out the driver this is very true um so let's get to the to the nuts and bolts of it all uh what do we end up shooting today well on Instagram Scott predicted that you would shoot uh, 97. And Scott shot 97. I had to do the exact inverse, and I shot 79. All I wanted to do was break 85 today. Um, I'm going to tell you, I went on a run of about eight pars. Uh, three or four of them were one-putt pars, but towards the end, we were finding our groove. And the only thing, and I remarked to Scott at the end of the round when we were on the 18th tee, is that it just sucks because I feel like we finally found our groove this round, and it's February 23rd, so we probably will not play again for like a month. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure I went 53-44. So obviously I'd like to have that front nine back. Um, but you're right, it's going to be a while before I get to, you know, get out there again and, you know, try and, and recreate the magic from the back nine, uh, which was obviously significantly better. It was um, it was definitely a tale of two halves for Scott 
Um, and honestly, I mean, for both of us, warming up on the front was uh, was difficult. I mean, I doubled the first hole. He tripled the first hole. I mean, it was uh, it was it was I, difficult goings. But again, we teed off and it was about 33 degrees. And what was crazy is as it got warmer, you know, the distance just came back. I mean, it was insane. At one point, I'd hit a six iron 145. Um, you know, I took a little bit off of it, but changed that over to, I think on the 17th hole, I had 166 or 167 in, hit the same exact club pin high to about 12 feet. Yep. So it was, uh, it was nuts. We were freezing in the beginning. We were warm at the end, but gosh, it's February 23rd and we're out playing a full 18 holes of golf. Cannot complain. No, I'll take it any day of the week. And also, let's give a quick shout-out to Tyler, the director of golf there, um, who's going to be taking over their social media accounts and doing a lot more with social media. So if you're in the northern New Jersey area and you want to play uh, some challenging courses or actually just some great condition courses, Crystal Springs has a ton. They have Valley Owen, Black Bear, Crystal Springs Resort, Cascade. Uh, There's probably one that I'm missing. There's also an awesome putting course, which I took some money off of Scott from back mm. in – the summer. Do you remember the the other course there, or is that it? So it's uh, there's six. It's Ballyo and Black Bear, Cascades, Crystal Springs, Wild Turkey, and then Minerals, which is uh, I think that's their family course. So I I'm pretty sure that one's like uh ex- no nope, that's a nine hole, uh yeah nine hole twenty three oh five. That's right. I forgot about Wild Turkey. And that is a course that we saw from Crystal Springs and one that I definitely want to get on. I mean, it looks phenomenal. Uh, it does. That, I, I, I have to be honest with you. This, the, when we played Black Bear, you know, I wasn't crazy about the course, but I really liked the, the facility. Um, this, I really liked the course and I really liked the facility. So I'm really... Uh, this Crystal Springs is it's high on my list right now. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd go back and play Black Bear again unless there was some type of great deal. I don't think for me personally, as far as we live away, it's worth the drive. But the other courses, uh, without a doubt. I mean, if you if you're within 25, 30 minutes of it, I think it's it's more than fine to get around in on a weekday or you know maybe a weekend twilight. Uh, I'm I don't necessarily think I'd pay the 75 bucks or so on a weekend morning. However, mm-hmm. the other ones are uh, fantastic. And then least I forget, let me give a big shout out to Spargo golf who uh, literally just messaged me and say, Hey, how the clubs work today. Now, John just got married. Okay. And he's messaging me about how my clubs were today after my round. Um, so John, how were they? I shot a 79 on the hardest public course in New Jersey on February 23rd. Like enough said, if you need to get fitted, go to Spargo golf, go to Cranston, Rhode Island, take a drive up there, you know, make it an overnight, have yourself a mini golfers vacation and go see John and just get it done. It's as simple as that. He just got married. Cause I'm pretty sure yesterday on his Instagram, he was regripping clubs. So <laughs> the man works tirelessly um, to get people better at the game, and he is a literally a true icon in the club fitting industry. Scott, the WGC just ended, and while we were so happy about playing golf today, we came home, and the happiness just 
just kept increasing because the patron saint of leave the pin, Bryson, was in the lead. And then the moron decided to three-putt his second-to-last hole, the penultimate hole, and it led um, some people's Captain America, Patrick Reed, to walk away with a one-stroke victory, even after slicing one into the woods on 18. Um, A lot of controversy there, Scotto. A lot of people not wanting Patrick Reed to win. You know what was hilarious, too? I think even the Mexicans didn't want him to win down there in Mexico. There were so many car alarms and horns going off when he was on the 18th tee box. There's no way that that could have been a coincidence. Yeah, I I saw that. I I think you're right. I think that's they're just trying to mess with Patrick Reed. Um, You know, the, the one good thing is, you know, now Patrick Reed can, you know, maybe take next week off, go spend some time at the beach, build some sandcastles, you know, do Patrick Reed things. Um, I, I don't even know what to say. I, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's like the, you know, I'm trying to think of another, another athlete, Michael Jordan. Okay. Michael Jordan was a guy where if you told him that he couldn't do it, he would go out of his way to prove you wrong. Even if it was something as stupid as like, like back in the day, people in the beginning, would say, hey, Michael, like, you're not a great defender. All you do is score. And then Michael Jordan became like a nine-time first-team all-defensive NBA player. Uh, and Patrick Reed's literally the same thing. It's like, hey, Patrick, you cheat. Okay, watch me win without cheating. Suck on that. Hey, mm. Patrick, you know, like, you're a jerk. Um, okay, so what? Well, I don't like you winning. Okay, cool. Let me go out and win again, like, to shove it down your throat. Like, I mean... The dude is, I mean, A, a phenomenal player. I don't think he's ever going to reach top five players in the world, as he once said a few years ago. But give the guy credit. I mean, he goes out and just absolutely kills it. Maybe the most stone-cold killer out on the PGA Tour. I mean, there's just ice water running through this man's veins. I couldn't even imagine living in a world, or a Patrick Reed-type world, where everybody in golf, lambasted you like Brooks Kepka comes out and says he cheated um uh who's the dude that why am I drawing a blank that was just on the no laying up podcast Peter Costas comes out yeah. and says I've seen him do it four or five times I mean it's like the entire world's against this guy and he could care less as far as an athlete goes I mean that's the mindset you want morally that's eh, a big can of worms to open up yeah, totally agree. Uh, I mean, listen, it it's one of those like, yeah, you know, you know, go go ahead and be a hater because I'm still gonna just do me and, uh, you know, good for him. That's all. That's all I have to say. Good for him. He um, he's slowly creeping up to the top of the FedEx Cup points, um. You know, as much as Bryson gave this away today with that three putt, I mean, Patrick Reed really did win it. You know, that that birdie putt on 17 was enormous. And, and then and then Bryson on 18, he's got 19 feet to the hole and he leaves it three and a half feet short. Like maybe the most timid putt I remember seeing since Tom Watson at the Open Championship. 
to win it in regulation. That uh, was one of the weakest putts ever, the one that slid right. And that's what always happens when, when, when you're nervous. You're always going to push that ball to the right. Um, it was tough. It was tough watching him. And, I, you know, I, I, I love Bryson for all of his quirks and for as much of a lunatic as he is. And I really am starting to believe that he's just nuts. Um, I think he's fascinating as a player. I love watching him. I think he brings fans in and, you know, I hate using the term, but kind of moves the needle a little, a little bit. Uh, and again, so does Patrick Reed. Uh, maybe not for the right reasons, but he definitely mm-hmm. does it. That would have been a phenomenal playoff. Like, I, you know, the, the Webb Simpson, Tony Finau playoff at, at Waste Management, that was great. But they're like both likable guys, you know? And it's like, well, I don't really care who wins. This one I had like a rooting vested interest in. I wanted to see Bryson take him down or see what shenanigans they both pulled out in a playoff hole. But alas, it was not meant to be. And Reed picks up yet another win. Yep. You saw, saw our boy John Rahm, uh, towering volcanic inferno that is John Rahm. That's a new course record. There are 61, nine birdies, and a hole in one yesterday. It's insane. So between Rahm and McElroy, uh, you know, just it, they're like just top 10 machines. I mean, Rory's been a top five machine all year. Um, and it's kind of crazy. I mean, I just feel like those two guys go out there and they're just, you know, sign them up for, for being in the top 10. I read a stat that Rory has been in the top 50 in the world for 500 weeks. Yeah, that's not surprising. That in and of itself is insane. I mean, that's starting when you're, like, 19 years old. Like, think about you know, 19. We were sophomores in college, and this dude has cracked the top 50 in the world and has consistently stayed there for the better part of a decade. It blows my mind with how consistent he is that he doesn't have more than the four majors and the one player's championship. Yeah, so... Yes. And that ultimately, you know, I I don't know that that's an indictment of him or it is a result of how good everybody else is. It it could go either way. I tend to agree with the fact that the fields are so deep and, you know, anybody can win any given Sunday now. It's like... You know, when Tiger was often winning in the early 2000s and even up to like, you know, 9, 10, you had this mindset where, okay, Tiger's playing, you know, after 36 holes, he's three, four off the lead, Tiger's going to win. Nowadays, like the, the WGC Mexico was a perfect example. You had Rory leading, you had Rom leading, you had JT leading. Then you have Bryson leading with three holes left, and Reed wins it. I mean, there's just so many good players. The depth is so far down the talent pool that there's guys on the Corn Ferry Tour right now that given the opportunity and thrown into the cauldron that is the PJ Tour could go out and win. Like, look who won the opposite field event this week in Puerto Rico, Hovland. You know? Right. 
the 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 next uh, you know Pontevedra star, or at least they want him to be. He goes off and and wins that by a stroke. I mean, you look at the people that couldn't even get into the WGC field that were playing in Puerto Rico, and it literally le- reads, excuse me, like a who's who of a good PGA Tour event. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you have Hovland. You have. I mean, this is just the the top three: Hovland, Josh Teeter, Kyle Stanley, uh, Emiliano Grio. Uh, you know, Johnny Vegas is in there. So, you know, those are those are all guys where if you went to a normal PGA Tour event and you got the pairing sheet and you looked up and you're like, oh, hey, this is a pretty decent field. And every single one of those guys couldn't even qualify for nope. the WGC event. Well, the one I, I mean, the, the name that jumped out at me was the Barn Rat. Because I I feel like he's been in these in the uh, the WGCs pretty consistently for the last few years, uh, and I, I guess he must have fallen out of that. Um, but you know he he shows up in Puerto Rico and you know comes in twenty seventh, so pretty good on good good for him. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually I'm just even uh, I'm looking at guys that missed the cut. You know, you got guys like Alex Norin, Robert Garrigus back from his weed violation. Um, you know, some old heads, you know, former U.S. Open leaders, Ricky Barnes, you know, major champions, Chad Campbell, Zach Blair missed the cut. You're, you're, again, you're talking about uh, a who's who of former PGA Tour greats and newer guys that have been playing well. Um like I mentioned, Zach Blair misses the cut. Chesson Hadley misses the cut. Uh, Bryson Nimmer, all guys that have been playing really well. Uh, of course, well, Smiley Coffin. I was going to say, but, Smiley, Smiley also. You know, at least he got in, I, I guess. You know what? It's Smiley. So, good. You know, he's a, uh, you know, he's a former PGA Tour champion. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me, let me complain a little bit about, uh, the PJ tour and some things, if you don't mind, Scott, Go for we've it. got, um, we've got an individual from South Korea, uh, Tae Hee Lee, who finished in absolute dead last, um, at the WGC Mexico. We've got Michael Lorenzo Vera from France. We've got Scott Hend from Australia. Uh, we have Marcus Kinholt playing. We have Lucas Herbert. Herbert. We've got um, Victor Perez, who we've mentioned before, Jason Kokrak, Corey Connors, Zach Murray, all people that probably should not be in the WGC Mexico event, especially when guys like Lando Calrissian don't get in. The problem I have with the WGC events is the fact that it's not 100% tour run, and you have these guys that are cleaning up in Japan, cleaning up overseas, um, some of these other co-sanctioned events by the European Tour and, and the Sunshine Tour in Africa, and they're gaining these world ranking points when guys are grinding away on the Corn Ferry Tour, grinding away on the Latino America Tour, McKenzie Tour, wherever – and don't even have the ability to earn these points. And these guys are getting guaranteed money, and they're getting guaranteed points because it's a no-cut event. I wish the WGC had a way in which they could 
maybe not make top 50 or top 48, whatever they take. Um, but dole out the point a little bit more effectively than the way they do right now. Does that bother you at all that, that, that guys that literally have done nothing this year are getting in? Uh, yes. Uh, Lanto did get, get in though. He finished 29th. All right. Well, I'm mistaken. My bad, Lanto. He's, uh, he's also fourth in the Wyndham rewards top 10. Yeah, well, and he's like top 10 on the FedEx Cup points list, which, you know, is shoved down our throats every single week now. Yeah, I I completely forgot they were even doing that Wyndham Rewards top 10 thing, by the way. I don't even know what it's like. Other than money, like, is there anything that goes along with it? Like, do they get like a trophy or like a free hotel room or something? No, I have no idea. They These guys don't even stay in Wyndham Resorts. Well, if it was free, they would. I maybe, I guess so. But there's some pretty shady Wyndham resorts out there. Ah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, my other problem is once again, I don't want to do too many coverage takes, but once again, Paul Azinger. Uh, you drive me insane, Scott. I have a solution. See that? There's a button on your remote control. And right above it, it says the letters M-U-T-E, mute. Just hit the button. I, I wish it said P-U-N-C-H. Um, they're, they're here, you know, I'm watching. Everything's fine. It's kind of on in the background. I'm doing some stuff for the pod and whatnot. And then Justin Thomas hits up against a tree. So he's got to hit lefty, right? So he turns the club over, and he's hmm. going to hit lefty. And they're going back and forth, him and Dan Hicks. And Dan Hicks says, you know, hey, Zinger, you uh, you ever practice shots like this all the time? These guys practice these things all the time. So when they get in these situations, it's easy. All the time they practice this stuff. All right, look. These dudes pound balls three, four hours a day. I get it. Okay, I understand. They're better than us. They put mm-hmm. in more time than us. That's fine. Okay, JT is not going to the end of the range and hitting a bucket of balls lefty with a club upside down. Okay, it's not happening. They're exceptional athletes. They have phenomenal hand-eye coordination, so they're able to do this stuff. Are they doing it as a joke here and there? Are they doing it at the end where there's a few balls left in the bucket? Yes. But don't insult my intelligence and tell me that these tour pros are doing that. Dan, how do you know? Because I'm friends with tour. We have tour pros that are our friends. They don't do this. Okay, that's the bottom line. You're grinding on um, a normal range, a weekday. You're working on a few cues. That's it. If you're in the offseason and you're trying to overhaul your swing, you're worried about that. You're not doing stupid, fake trick shots all the time. So... The information that Azinger gives me, and I feel like he gives it to me with a pompous attitude on top of it, bothers me. So then, to compound things even worse, the lie that he had was right up against a tree. Okay, So he does hit it lefty, club upside down, so the face of the club goes through. And he puts it through the trees. Great shot. Now the hole where he was, the way the hole was contoured, was sloping from right to left. Azinger goes on and on 
about not only does he practice that, not only did he hit it upside down, not only did he hit it lefty, but then he cut it from that lie. I saw him cut it. Well, all you have to do is watch the replay and see that the ball's on the ground and taking the contour of the hole. If a hole slopes right to left and you get the ball running, guess which way the ball's going to go, Scott? Oh, right to left? Right to left. No, he did not cut the ball, holding it upside down, swinging lefty, Paul Azinger. Stop trying to infuse drama that's not there. Was it an amazing shot? Yes, it was phenomenal. I mean, I, I couldn't do it probably out of 50 balls, maybe one out of 100. But to go above and beyond and say that, you know, he's doing all these things with and he practices it all the time. It's just insulting to the real golf fans out there. But you know what? What Peter Costas told us on the No Laying Up podcast is that they don't care about their product. The only thing that they care about is getting ads in. And honestly, it really shows sometimes on the telecast. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's very clear that it's all, you know, how many advertisements they could fit into, you know, this hour. Um, and, you know, whatever is going to keep people... Uh, you know, have their eyes on those advertisements, you know, that that's what they're going to do. So, you know, you have Paul Azinger hyping up the drama for that shot. And in all honesty, it's dramatic enough. Like you don't really need to hype that up. There's a, you know, a, a guy who's going to hit the ball lefty, um, you know, sure. You know, will Justin Thomas maybe like in a practice round, just goof around, throw a ball down and hit one lefty. Yeah, maybe, but it's not like he's grinding it out and like, you know, making sure that he can do that. Um, I took lessons like 10 years ago and hitting right-handed, hitting left-handed shots with right-handed clubs. The last day of lessons, the guy was doing lessons like, hey, you want to learn how to hit a a a left-handed shot with your right-handed clubs? I was like, sure. And he showed me. I hit one. I was like, all right, cool. Let's go hit shots out of the bunker. And we did that for the next half hour because that's a real scenario that actually is going to happen as opposed to a trick shot. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, so, I mean, whatever. That that bugged me, but uh, it is what it is. And then, you know, one of the things, too, we talked about a few pods back, how if you were playing a course and it was lined with spectators, you know, what would you end up shooting? And we agreed it would probably be two to three strokes better. Well, on the 13th or 14th hole, I believe, it definitely was for Rory today. He got a drop from the gallery. He got a drop from the shot tracer uh, stand there, the, the crane that holds the shot tracer technology up. This, this shot was flying through the green. I mean, it probably would have ran... 100 feet, 200 feet past the green. But, of course, it hits into the shot tracer, and then he gets a drop. It's a good lie. He gets up and down. It is what it is, right? That's life on tour. We'll never experience it. But uh, those little interactions I, I do like seeing out there and how it's such a different game than they play and how the conditions are completely different than what we play. Well, I I forget at what the Instagram handle was but one of those instagrams that shows tiger woods highlights had the the shot where he had the gallery move the rock for him 
uh, a day or two ago, and I was, I was watching that. And just think about, like, there's no, like, real-world scenario where I'm out at a golf course and there's a rock in my way and I'm going to go to the, the three guys I'm playing with and be like, hey, can you help me move this out of the way? Because uh, I want to play in that direction. The rock's in my way. So, so go ahead. Today on the 11th hole at Crystal Springs, it's a big downhill par three. Uh, I think it measured out at 198. I think we ended up playing at about 175 or so. And very, very weird green. It's a butterfly-shaped green, if you can imagine that. Or like a dog bone. Actually, it's more like a dog bone now that I think I'd go dog bone. Yeah. And the top left portion of the dog bone is where the pin was. Plays over this this um, crystal spring, if you will, which is where the place got the name from. And it's this beautiful, clear water. It's gorgeous, honestly. It's a gorgeous hole. It is. Not really a practical hole. I mean, could really, like, blow up your round. um, Because, obviously, you know, something with a 100-foot elevation drop is a little bit gimmicky. But I was – you nutted it to eight feet or so. Something Um, like that. I flared it out and was stuck behind an enormous boulder. And that got me thinking, Tiger Woods and the movable rock. And while Tiger sees something, he says, well, you know what? I'll get people to move that. I don't have to worry about it. I had the wrong club because, like I said, it was car path only. I took a sand wedge because from up top, it looked like maybe I was 50, 60 yards you know, away. Turns out I was probably 50 feet away. So I open up this sand wedge, and I have this uh, – am I exaggerating if I say 10-foot-high boulder, Scott, in front of me? It was a pretty big rock. And so the sounds probably fair. The only thing that I'm thinking of is I'm opening up a sand wedge. That leading edge could catch this ball. It could carom into this rock and literally hit me and knock me unconscious. Thankfully, I went over the short edge of the rock and left it, you know, 15 feet or so under the hole. But those are things that I have to deal with because I'm not Tiger Woods and I don't have 30,000 people following me on a golf course. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's what saves them strokes. That happens all the time. And uh, and for them, you know, for them not to acknowledge that at times um, is a little bit discerning because the, the gallery definitely does help out. So thank your gallery next time when you clock someone in the head and the ball bounces back into the fairway. Uh, Scott, let's go PGL. Don't really want to talk about it because it's not real yet. Uh, Rory says he's out, but the big news this week is the CFO spokesman comes out to talk about the team format. Andrew Gardiner is a British attorney and businessman um, whose association with the PGL has kind of been known since he teed it up with Mickelson over at the Saudi uh, collecting that blood money. Mm-hmm. So he thinks the proposal, and he's become the spokesman now for the Premier Golf League. He thinks the proposal, which he is stating an 18-event schedule, then that includes the majors, and fi- there are 54-hole tournaments with shotgun starts the first two rounds. Um, Ten of them are going to be in the U.S., so that brings four overseas and the four majors. They're going to swing throughout Europe, Asia, Australia, and then obviously one stop in the Middle East. Uh, he thinks as early as 2022, but here was the most interesting part. We brought up the team format a while back and not many people were reporting on that. 
But he says there's going to be teams of four players, and they'd simultaneously compete for an individual and a team prize every tournament with the captain of each team, who you'd have to assume would be like Tiger, Phil, Rory, DJ, guys like that. The captain, before each round, decides which two players' scores will count for the team. So you could have a team of leave the pin. You, me, um, Tyler, the creator, and Derek, right? And let's say Dan, you know, D. Lou was the, was the captain. And he would say, well, Derek and Dan's score are going to count today. And we go in, out and shoot 85s, and you and Tyler shoot 72s. Well, you've got to count the 285s. So that brings a little bit of intrigue into it that you're making this a team event now, and he thinks that people are going to start rooting for these actual teams. Do you think people are going to root for these teams, Scott? No. I, I, don't, I, I don't think they're going to attract anyone who's reasonably recognizable, uh, with the exception of Phil Mickelson, who seems to be all on board with it because he probably has some money invested in it, uh, or they've just paid him a ton of money to be on board. No, so. no, he has, you know, he has to have money invested in it. That's why he moved to Florida to get the tax break from California. I mean, I think I would not be surprised if once this commences, if it does, quote unquote, that Phil is like a minority owner. I wouldn't be surprised either. I, he's probably the only one who is going to be involved, who's one of the names that would draw people into it. Cause I, I don't think tiger will be in. We know Rory's out, you know, I, I don't see Kepka doing it. I don't see Justin Thomas doing it. I, I don't see Mac, uh, not Mac. I don't see Ricky doing it. So I, and there's not a lot of names that are recognizable to people who aren't like huge golf fans. Spieth, I don't think Spieth would do it. What if Spieth does do it? Because what if they tell Spieth, hey, here's 10 mil. Spieth's not making any money on tour, Scotto. Top top 50s are not getting him any cash whatsoever. And he's barely breaking into the top 50s when he does make the cut. So what if they say Spieth? Spieth's an enormous name. A ton of people know Spieth from four or five years ago. But they don't know he's fallen off. So what if they do get speed because of this promise of big-time money, which you know what? Hey, you don't have to earn. We're just going to give it to you. Give us your name. Give us your likeness. He's someone I could see. Mm. What if He is tight with Phil, Kim too. Out? What's that? What if they pull Anthony Kim out? Uh, maybe. Spieth is tight with Phil, so I guess that is possible. I'm I'm just I'm just saying dude I think some incarnation of it may occur. I don't think it's going to be the top 40 guys in the world. Okay, I really don't. It might be some semblance of the top 40 guys, but it's not going to be the top 40 guys. There's no way you're getting them all. There's just not enough money to go around and there's not enough incentive to keep them away from the tour. Now whatever the tour decides to do, the tour decides to do, and that's up to them. But I could see them getting big names with the promise of guaranteed purses and guaranteed money for not having to do anything. 
And there's a lot of guys that, you know, don't love the game and they just happen to go out and play. And after they get done with a round, they put the clubs away and they don't think about it anymore. And I could see some of those guys coming out and, uh, you know, and, and collecting that money. What about a Pat Perez? He'd be great as the figurehead of a team and probably make a ton more money in the PGL than he would on the PGA Tour. That, that's a good that's a good name. That's a good point. Uh, I could see him jumping ship, maybe. Where w- Most of these events are going to be played in the U.S., right? Yeah, I mean... It's at 10 of the 18. 10 of the 18, but really 10 of the 14, because four of the events that they're counting for the 18 are the majors. So there's 14 events, four they're going to play overseas. Basically one on each, you know, big... Um, secondary market, right? Asia, Australia, Middle East, and Europe. So first off, you'd have to have connections with some fantastic courses over there because you have to make it worthwhile. They'll go to Royal Melbourne in, in Australia. Um, you know, Maybe they go to some unnamed course in China, some private club that one of the investors owns, maybe the same thing in the Middle East. And then you know, Europe has a plethora of courses, but how cool would it be if they went to an open rota course or a course mm. that's not on the open rota anymore that used to be, and you get to see it played again? Uh, that could be neat. You know who else is a is a big name who I could see maybe jumping to do this because he could spend more time with his kids because he doesn't play as much is Bubba Watson. Bubba Watson pulls in big galleries. And Bubba Watson is one of the most exciting guys on tour to watch yes. live. Yes, and he he definitely loves spending time with his family. If he could save himself, you know, ten weeks a year where he doesn't have to be, you know, out traveling with his camper, you know, and could be home with his kids because he's not out playing golf, uh, I I could see him maybe doing that. Jordan Spieth, Pat Perez, Bubba Watson. Phil Mickelson and special commentator Pat Perez and Charles Barkley. Uh, yeah, I'm sold on the PGL. Say less. Uh, again, I I don't know that that's enough to carry a whole golf league, but but it's enough to get it's started. A, it's a really decent start. If you're gonna if you're gonna have let's say four teams and those are gonna be your your anchors, your I think that's a decent start. There you go, there you go. Hey, we just solved all the world's problems in forty three minutes. Well, that's always what happens. There we go. Did you have some Instagram questions you wanted to get? Yeah, to? you know what? I said we get to them, but to um, give, let's give the people what they want. I mean, you want to go to? We we don't have time to go through all of them. Yeah, go, go like pick two or three. All right. Um, first off, thank you to everybody that sent in the Instagram questions. Um, literally, we could do a whole episode of them with just the ones you sent in, and I think we might have to do that in the future, Scott. Maybe, maybe we'll try and get that done in the the near future. Okay. One of my favorite questions: What is the status of your card collection, and how many figures has Scott purchased so far? Second question: Different person. How far has Scott gone down in the eBay wormhole? Scott, let the people know. So uh, I 
All I have purchased were the 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 twelve dollars worth of the Pro Set nineteen ninety one PGA Tour set. Uh, I will be playing around with that a little bit more. Uh, you know, I pulled out some cards and and you know popped them up on Instagram. There's some funny ones in there. I'm just trying to like figure out how I want to package some of the things that I'm gonna put on there about them. Uh, but I've actually stayed away from buying too many of the cards because. I know myself when it comes to sports cards, uh, that is an addiction that I broke and I don't want to start, you know, going down that road again, where now I'm going to be hanging around baseball card shows, you know, picking up wax packs and trying to chase like, you know, rookie cards and stuff like that. Uh, as far as the action figures, uh, I have other than my, my usual Funko pops, I've purchased the Arnold Palmer starting lineup, the Sam Steed starting lineup, and I, I, I'm seriously considering at least one of those Michael Jordan, not Michael Jordan, one of those Tiger Woods ones, uh, but I can't pull the trigger on them yet. They're just, they're a little crazy in terms of the price. So I actually picked up the Arnold Palmer starting lineup one. I got it at a great deal, actually $3 less than you got it for. Mm-hmm. And I one up you a year. I went with the 1992 PGA Tour Pro Set. I bought a unopened box of it for $12, shipping including. I've opened about six packs or so, put some of those on Instagram. Um, have had people reply to me. Uh, I My phone is on the other side of the desk. I'm not going to open it. But have people reply and asked if I have certain cards and told me what cards they have doubles and triplicates of in case I wanted to trade. Um, if you are at home right now and you are thinking about getting into golf card collection and you need a card, I will just give it to you. Yeah, we don't say. have to trade. It's yours. I'll throw some leave the pin stickers in as well. It is my gift to you podcast patrons yeah i mean these are not like anything that i'm you know gonna be tied to too much i do like opening the packs and i love seeing the outfits i love seeing the hair i love reading the stats of a guy that made four thousand dollars on tour i'm looking at one larry lauretti who larry lauretti oh i know i I, I know these people. Okay. Oh, I don't. But gotcha. Larry the Reddy has the sickest red original tailor-made hat, a big stogie in his mouth. I was going to say, he's, he's got to be smoking. He's from Mahopic, New York. Is that how you say it, Scott? Mayapak. Mayapak. Is that near you? Uh, it's not near me, but part of my school district is Mayapak. Is in the Mayapak school district. The Mayapak. Town of Mayapak is part of my school district. Okay, well, Larry the Reddy uh, is from there. He was born July 11th, 1939. Uh, I'm not sure if Larry the Reddy's still with us. But he did not play on the PGA Tour at all. But he made $539,461 on the senior tour up to 1992. And in 1991, he made $371,097 to finish 15th on the senior tour known then as the senior tour, not the champions tour. Yes. So Larry Loretti has 
um, a, a, an, a U.S. Senior Open win in 1992. Are you kidding me? No. So sandwich, this year, he's sandwiched in between two Jack Nicholas wins. This Larry Loretti car that I'm holding, I'm looking at, with his white tailor-made hat, cigar in his mouth, pink, green, black, white shirt with pink pants, is from the year that he won the U.S. Senior Open. This man is a USGA champion. Yes. You he's think on, that he is on the wall in in New Jersey? You know what? You think that's cool. You think Larry Loretta is the man? You're not the man, Scott, unless the last line on your golf card is plays golf with a cigar in his mouth. Exactly. Exactly. Ah, you know where he, he won the uh, U.S. Senior Open at Saucon Valley? Really? Yep. This man has so many connections to you and I, except for the fact that he plays golf with a cigar in his mouth. Mm-hmm. That's what is on his trading card, Scott. The last line of his stats is plays golf with a cigar in his mouth. Exactly. Good Lord, do I miss the 90s. <laughs> uh, what else you got? Um, uh, Some of these are just like such long ones. Um... We already answered the where'd you guys play, who won. Um, hold on. I got to open up my phone now on Instagram. I apologize. I'm sure this makes for great radio right now. <laughs> one, one of the questions you said was, do you, do you guys use different balls in the winter? Oh, uh, yeah. The answer Actually, to that. That's, that's from Rob Miller of uh, Two Guys Talking Golf of gotcha. WRX. Oh, cool. Uh, no. Uh, sometimes I do, but most of the time. Nope, straight up, uh, you know, Callaway Chrome Soft X or Pro V1 X, which is what so, I, I teed up today. Yeah, um, so today I use a TaylorMade Project A, which I have a stash in my golf locker in the basement because when I was a golf coach, we had purchased so many of them. Uh, mm-hmm. I literally still have them five, six years later. So on a round like today, that's the ball that I used. Now, normally in the summer, I'll play the Callaway Chromesoft X, the Truvis, the, the, the USA version, or any version of it, but I just happen to have a dozen of those, or Pro V1X. Those are the two that I'll play when I'm playing, ugh, I, I hate to say real golf, but, you know, as well as we played today was not real golf. Um, you know, when you, hit, when you hit a green for the first 30 minutes of the round, and there's literally permafrost underneath it, and the ball bounces up in the air, that's not really real golf. So I'll use a not so much a lower compression ball uh, or something that doesn't spin as much, but just something that's not that's not as valuable. Something that's not you know worth as much that costs as much um, as the Chrome Soft or the Pro V1. But normal rounds, Pro V1 X for me and the Callaway Chrome Soft. Yeah, same here. Yeah, and there you go. All right, my man. Bang bang. I think we're good, right? Sounds good to me. Awesome. Hey, uh, so real quick, again, if you're still listening to this uh, at, at this time in the pod, big shout-out to Liz and Brian today for making a great round even more enjoyable, and people either get busy golfing or get busy dying. See you soon.